The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 74 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 69, Let the Game Begin. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Sal Busema, inks by Sam Granger, letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in October of 1969. Starting off with our cover, I think of this one as a fun cover. It's got tons of Avengers. It is a very tiny Kang the Conqueror, which just warms, I guess, my heart. It's kind of weird to say that about a villain, but I really like seeing Kang. And he's not the primary villain for a lot of this issue. So I'm okay with him sitting there on the shoulder of Growing Man, all nice and tiny. But it implies that he's there, he's part of the story, and it makes me excited. Now, admittedly, this isn't the most special cover ever. This isn't what I would refer to as an iconic cover, but it's a well-done cover. It's pleasant to look at. I love the colors. It's a very eye-catching, very bright, popping out kind of cover. And I especially love the fact that they actually gave it a sky-colored background. They could have left it as white, or they could have made it some other solid color that wasn't sky-colored. This makes it feel more like an actual scene than just some random cover image. And I like that. Now, moving inside our book, the opening splash page immediately sets the scene and the tone for the first portions of this book. And we find the Avengers rushing through the middle of a Manhattan hospital, trying to get to Tony Stark's hospital room before it's too late. I really love the look of the Avengers here. Vision and Yellowjacket have a great sense of motion and authority. They're pushing their way through a number of people, and they really look like people are parting out of the way for them. They're men on a mission. Goliath looks a little bit goofy because he's scratching his head, looking around, and for some reason, everybody else is in full costume, but Wasp has a jacket on, which I don't really understand, but that's fine. So as I mentioned, the Avengers are making their way to Tony Stark's room. What's happened up until this point in Iron Man 17 and 18 is that Tony Stark was replaced by a life model decoy, and that life model decoy decided that he was going to take over Stark's life, and then eventually decided he was going to kill Tony. So through a series of convoluted events, the life model decoy actually takes over Tony Stark's life, and the two of them end up fighting it out. The life model decoy in the modern Iron Man armor and Tony Stark in his original armor. And although Tony wins at the end of the fight, he collapses having suffered a heart attack and the Avengers end up showing up at the end of the issue and rush him into a rejuvenation machine and then to the hospital. So here we find the Avengers rushing to Tony Stark's bedside at the hospital. Things are not looking particularly good for Tony. The Avengers find him in his hospital bed. He's unconscious. He's not looking well. He's being guarded by what appear to be a number of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents in plain clothes. But in general, the Avengers don't have a great feeling about this. As we find out on the next page, it's to the point where they are bringing in the best 
medical professionals they know of. As it turns out, it's really useful to have an Avenger whose secret identity is also a doctor. In this case, Thor is Dr. Donald Blake. And while Thor and Donald Blake aren't specifically cardiac specialists, they know of a man named Dr. Santini, who is a cardiac specialist and apparently the best one around. And so Thor is literally flying him through Manhattan in order to get him to the hospital as soon as possible so that he can hopefully save Tony Stark. As Thor arrives with Dr. Santini, he is met by Captain America. So at this point, the majority of the Avengers have met at Tony Stark's bedside. And while some of the Avengers, specifically Vision and Captain America, are discussing what's going on with Dr. Santini, Wasp finds a little glowing figure. It looks kind of like a kid's doll or action figure under a cabinet or like a dresser maybe. And she goes to retrieve it. Now, one, it's a little odd that the Avengers are discussing Tony Stark's medical situation with the doctor instead of other medical professionals. It's a little bit odd, but okay, sure, we'll go with that. The other thing is that although this is a hospital instead of a doctor coming to Tony Stark's private mansion or something, it's a little weird to have this doll or this action figure under this cabinet. One might think they would clear the rooms out better than this. So obviously something is up. Also, most kids' toys don't glow all by their lonesome, at least especially in the 60s. I mean, now everything's got a stupid screen on it and whatnot. So yeah, they glow a lot more now than they used to. But 1960s, eh, toys didn't glow quite so much. Now, as Wasp kind of examines this toy, Yellowjacket turns around and pretty harshly scolds Wasp for even looking at this. Now, I gotta say, this is a little bit too much on the part of Yellowjacket. One is that when he responds to Janet, he's really quite a dick and it's really uncalled for. But secondly, everybody deals with stressful situations, especially at a hospital, in different ways. You know, hospitals are just such a, a weird thing in, in my mind. I, I spent a fair amount of time when I was younger in and around hospitals because my sister was, was ill. Thankfully, she is now better. But I have some very strong childhood memories in and around hospitals and everybody deals with what's going on in hospitals differently. Some people are very calm and collected. Some people just go off into their own little world and that's how they have to deal with things. So maybe this is how Janet would be dealing with something while she's there in this situation. Now, the reality is this situation is a setup in that doll is there really for nefarious purposes. But Yellowjacket doesn't know that. Wasp doesn't know that. So her fascination and her interest in it seems pretty genuine. And Hank's treatment of Wasp in this manner is really just yet another dick move on his part. As a result of Yellowjacket's reproach of Jan, she throws the toy into a trash can and the toy grows. Dun, dun, dun. Not that we didn't really kind of guess at that from the whole growing man on the front cover part, but it's an interesting little twist, I think. So now there is this toddler, maybe grade school sized growing man starting to run around the hospital. And the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents 
who had been watching Tony Stark have kind of been taking a break since the Avengers showed up, which in their defense makes a lot of sense. These are just guys with guns and the Avengers are these big super powered heroes. So I can understand why these guys decide to take it easy for a few minutes while these heroes are here that grossly overpower these these guys. If anybody's going to deal with a problem, it's going to be the Avengers. But suddenly they see this little thing walking around and they immediately jump to action. One of them thinks it might be a walking bomb. The other one doesn't really care what it is and just wants to get a hold of it and kind of figure it out later. And then the growing man attacks and immediately overpowers one of the agents. The second agent fires on growing man. And then although it's not shown, it's pretty obvious that growing man attacks this agent. Almost immediately, Growing Man smashes his way into the room, much to the concern of Dr. Santini. Growing Man brushes the doctor out of his way, rushes forward, and in a very Frankenstein-esque moment, picks up Tony Stark and begins to try carrying him away. And when I say Frankenstein-esque, he's kind of got that Frankenstein's monster pose where he's carrying Tony Stark limp in his arms. He's very tall, very broad, you know, bent back as in carrying this heavy load. We've seen this image many times over in monster films. Rocky does something similar in the Rocky Horror Picture Show towards the end after Magenta and Riff Raff kill Frank. So it's a nice cultural touchstone to throw in the book there that again, if you recognize it, great. If you don't, it doesn't take away anything from the book and it's still a well-drawn panel. Now, of course, the Avengers who just busted their butts to get Tony Stark to this hospital to try and save him and then got him a doctor and everything aren't going to let some random creature break in and take Tony Stark. They're going to fight to get him treatment. Unfortunately, as the Avengers begin attacking, we see the flaw in this plan, and that is that Growing Man absorbs energy from blasts and from punches and everything else and uses that energy to increase his size. Unfortunately for the Avengers, Thor recognizes the Growing Man for what he is, but he just doesn't respond fast enough. So by the time Thor gets his message across, Growing Man has already increased in size such that he is able to smash his way out of the hospital. And by the time he gets out, he's several stories tall at this point, probably in the neighborhood of three, three and a half stories tall. And again, he is still making off with Tony Stark. Now, one important thing we do find out from Thor, in addition to who the growing man is, is that the growing man is a creation of one of my favorite Avengers villains ever, Kang the Conqueror. So at this point, we know that in some way, shape, or form, Kang the Conqueror is involved in this story. And it makes sense to an extent. I just talked about how it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the doll to have been in Tony Stark's room. But Kang the Conqueror is a time traveler. So Kang can watch these events, go back in time, insert the growing man into the room so that someone will find it. Time travelers are both the best and the worst. So at this point, Growing Man is making his way out of the hospital with Tony Stark in hand. 
This time it's very much in a King Kong Fay Ray kind of way, or he's holding Tony in his giant fist and Tony's upper half is flopped kind of ragdoll since he's still unconscious through this whole thing. And Growing Man is making his escape. But again, the Avengers aren't willing to accept this. So Goliath decides that he is going to match Growing Man's size and take him on. Unfortunately, this is going to push Goliath past his existing kind of upper threshold for growth. Yellow Jacket Hank Pym, who invented this serum, warns Clint that he shouldn't do this, that it's not going to go well. And Goliath doesn't listen. He grows to an equal size as Growing Man and then attempts to take Growing Man on, but instead is pretty soundly beaten immediately by Growing Man. Growing Man is able to grab Clint's head when Clint starts feeling woozy because he stretched himself beyond his means and smashes him headfirst into the concrete. At which point, Growing Man makes his way a little bit further away from the Avengers, shrinks down to a normal size, and then is beamed upward into the sky, and the Avengers rush behind him and are also caught up in this beam. The Avengers are hurled across space and time, and they find themselves face-to-face -face with Kang the Conqueror in a magnificent two-page spread throne room. This is one of the coolest pages I've seen in a long, long time. In this throne room, we have Kang on an elevated dais. He's got two really cool-looking braziers next to him. There is some Kirby-esque tech in and around the area. There are Kang's guards. And most importantly, I think, is that to Kang's right hand, not on the dais with him, but nearby, is the Princess Ravana. If you guys remember way, way back in Avengers number 23 and 24, we introduced the character of Princess Ravana as the love of Kang's life. She was princess over a kingdom that was really the last holdout against Kang. And the reason Kang hadn't just overrun them, because he could have with relative ease and overwhelming force, is that Kang fell head over heels for Ravana. As a result, when she is killed at the end of issue number 24, Kang is devastated and really dedicates himself to restoring Ravana and making his life whole. It's given Kang a, a new purpose in life. So to see her here is really big. It means that Kang is still working towards this goal, and it's something that is going to drive the character for a long, long time. Now, of course, the Avengers, having been drawn to this point in the future and to the base of a throne in front of their foe, Kang, they want to know what the hell's going on, and they're concerned about Tony Stark. Now, what Kang tells the Avengers is that Tony Stark is residing in the same frigid fireball, which is kind of a, a fun oxymoron, if you will, right? A cold fire. But it's the same thing that brought the Avengers to the future. So basically they rematerialize and Tony Stark didn't. He's being held in a, a form of stasis, if you will. But beyond that, Kang refuses to explain anything else to the Avengers and basically demands that they bend the knee to him and serve him. And when they refuse, which is basically right away, the Avengers are forced to fight off a 
small army of Kang's goons. Now, while this goes well for the Avengers, because, you know, they're goons and the Avengers are superheroes, and that's just kind of how this goes, the fight is eventually interrupted by Black Panther, who was not with the Avengers at the hospital, but whom Kang had also brought to the future prior to bringing the Avengers to the future. And Black Panther has sided with Kang, which floors the Avengers until Black Panther is able to convince Kang to explain to the Avengers what's going on. Really, that's all the Avengers wanted in the first place, because yes, Growing Man was kind of hostile. Kang had the potential to defuse the situation by just answering the Avengers question. And in this case, Kang actually has a legitimate reason for wanting the Avengers' help. Kang, because of his love for Ravana, has made a Faustian bargain. Kang has made this bargain with the Grand Master, whom here is making his first appearance, though many of us would recognize him from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a character who was brilliantly played by Jeff Goldblum. Obviously, the characters here look a little bit different, but the ideas are kind of the same. The Grandmaster here is what will become known as an elder of the universe. The elders of the universe are the oldest creatures in the universe, and they are effectively immortal. They are second in age only to that of Galactus, because Galactus actually predates the current universe. He is a sole survivor from the previous universe. And the Grandmaster, among his many powers, is the ability to control life and death. And so Kang has been willing to make a bargain with the Grandmaster in order to gain control over life and death so that he can restore Ravana to life. As anyone who has been in any kind of committed relationship understands, there are times that you are willing to do almost anything to ensure the safety of those you care about and those you love. So Kang's motivation here is entirely understandable. And to an extent, it is selfish in that he's doing this so that he can have something. He's trying to do it to bring back the woman he loves. And for a villain to take steps like that, it's not unheard of. Certainly there are other villains that do things like that. Mr. Freeze is the first one that comes to mind, uh, the Batman villain who is injured in the experiment working to save his wife from this disease. And here we see something similar where Kang is trying to save the woman he loves, but this is a far less villainous tack for a character like Kang to take than what we see most often from comic villains, right? This isn't Kang trying to conquer the world. This is Kang trying to restore someone to life because he can't live without them. All of the elders of the universe have uh, a shtick, if you will, a way in which they operate. And the Grandmaster plays games. So he has challenged Kang to a game in which he will choose champions and the Grandmaster will choose champions. And whomever's champions win, wins the contest and will have the power over life and death. And so Kang has chosen the Avengers to be his champions because they are the most powerful creatures that Kang has ever encountered. I gotta give Kang some credit here. That makes a lot of sense. The Avengers have beaten him on multiple occasions and they have demonstrated that at times they are willing to put aside previous 
conflicts and work together with one of their enemies, one of their villains, if the cause is right and just. Kang truly believes that this cause is right and just, and he's not wrong, so he brings the Avengers to help him complete this mission. Now, the Avengers agree to help really on one condition, and that condition is that Tony Stark is returned to Earth, where, thankfully, Dr. Santini is able to help Tony Stark, is able to save his life by replacing some of his damaged heart tissue with synthetic heart tissue. And what we will find out in Iron Man 19 is that at this point, Tony Stark no longer relies on the chess piece to stay alive, at least at this point in time. That what Dr. Santini has done has effectively cured Iron Man of his problem. Back in the future, the Avengers and Kang await Grandmaster. Grandmaster chooses three of the Avengers three of Kang's chosen champions to face off against his champions. And we see through a, a slow transformation, this kind of three-tiered floating object that has been kind of in the background of the last several pages slowly transform into the earth and we see our avengers preparing to face off against their chosen foes who are referred to as the squadron sinister in this case it is dr spectrum hyperion nighthawk and wizard if these characters look and sound somewhat familiar, they are parodies to some extent of founding Justice League members, Green Lantern, Superman, Batman, and The Flash, respectively. Some of these characters also have appeared in other Marvel comics. In the future, the Squadron Sinister will become the Squadron Supreme, which are a good version of this evil group. Hyperion, in the future, on the Jonathan Hickman run, will become an Avenger himself. But this is where the issue is going to leave off with the introduction of these four new villains that our Avengers are going to have to fight. Overall, this is a, a really fun issue. I think it does a lot to add further depth to the character of Kang. I think the addition of Ravana in general adds a lot to Kang, but now to find that Kang is so obsessed with restoring Ravana that he is willing to do just about anything because when you really look at it, this deal with Grandmaster is a really terrible idea. But that Kang is willing to do anything and that he is willing to admit how badly the Avengers have beaten him in the past and recognize that they are the most likely people who are going to be able to help him, both from a physical standpoint that they'll be able to win the fight and that they are the most likely people to help him from a moral perspective, that they are going to do the right thing. and. For once, this is the right thing, the thing that Kang wants to do. It's also just a really fun story. We get some good crossover and intermixing with Iron Man's solo book. And again, Iron Man is certainly a character that we Avengers fans care about because he is a founding member of the Avengers. There is a lot that goes on in this issue, but it's done in such a way that everything flows. I don't ever think I spend too much time on any one particular part of the story, and I don't feel like I really, really need more of any other part. It's a very well-balanced story. And Sal Buscema does a really great job on the art. Grandmaster, especially in the comics, has a very distinct look. And Sal Buscema does a very good job of setting the tone of that look. 
being the first artist to draw Grandmaster, it says a lot as to the endurance of the image of this character. And finally, I think the issue ends on an appropriate note. We introduce a very sinister looking threat, figuratively and literally, and the Avengers, although we're all pretty confident that the Avengers are going to win, certainly they're going up against something unknown. So it builds an appropriate level of suspense and desire for the next issue, which is exactly what you want a cliffhanger to do. One final unrelated note that is definitely worth mentioning here is that according to my research, Marvel had been getting a number of letters from fans asking why they had changed Hawkeye into Goliath. What we find out is that Marvel didn't think Hawkeye was doing that well as a character, and they wanted to get rid of him, but Roy Thomas had become somewhat enamored with Hawkeye's personality. I think we can all agree, especially in this era, Hawkeye's got a really fun personality. So a bargain was struck that Hawkeye could stay in the book, but that he was going to be given this new power set, so he would become Goliath. In the letters column of this issue, that question is finally addressed to the readers, because like I said, Marvel had been getting a number of letters about this. As it turns out, fans really liked Hawkeye just the way he was, and this begins the turning point where Goliath is slowly going to start turning back towards Hawkeye, mostly as an appeasement to fans. Now, I don't think it's a bad decision, and, and we'll see it over the next number of issues. It doesn't actually happen till after the Kree-Skrull War, which we're still quite a ways from. However, I think this is better done than the transition from Hawkeye to Goliath because we're going to build to it. But this is the point at which Marvel explains their thought process and then starts getting that negative feedback from the fans that they want Hawkeye back to Hawkeye. That'll be something for us to look at knowing that's coming and we can kind of slowly watch that transition and see Marvel do a bit of course correcting within the book. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 70, When Strikes the Squadron Sinister. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.